Let us all turn together to the Word of God this evening. As you recognize, it's the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel and the chapter 2. We're going to commence reading at verse 8. It's a familiar passage. The glory of God came down that night. The Lord made his presence known to a company of shepherds. I suppose if any man of skill at all, literary skill, would write up the gospel history and try to create some kind of scene like this, we would hardly ever have chosen a group of humble shepherds to be the recipient of that vital message when the Savior was born. God's ways are not our ways. And the Lord works in mysterious ways. And sometimes he picks up those who are humble and virtually unknown and uses them even for the testimony of his grace. And that's what we have here, I feel I have to say, the shepherds who came to know about the Savior. It's powerful. Verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass As the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now the shepherds were good witnesses. 
It is their lot to give testimony to the birth of Christ. In the court of law, what constitutes a witness is that he has seen something of vital importance to the case, or he has heard something, or there's a combination of the two. And that's what we have here in reference to the shepherds in verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard. And then, as we've said, all the things they had seen. And their message was based on that personal testimony. They made known all those things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They just preached the message as God gave it. Isn't that a precious truth? It rejoices our heart. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word in this hour for his name's sake. Now please take your seats again. I want you to open your Bible also at the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, and the words of verse number 10 simply say, The angel said unto them, that is unto the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Let's pray together once again. Let's seek the Lord. Pray for his help for a speaking voice, for the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Pray that Jesus Christ will be exalted and our souls might be blessed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee tonight again that we're found in Thy house on the evening of this Thy day. We thank Thee, O God, that the psalmist could say, and we can testify also, that a day in Thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. We thank Thee, our Father, for the Savior and for the good news of the gospel, glad tidings, good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. O God, we pray tonight as we gather around Thy Word that Thou wilt work in our hearts. Remember the need of every individual Some tonight, perhaps, are not yet saved. Others, O God, cold at heart. Others need a word in season from Thyself. We pray, O God, that Thou wilt speak to us all and grant that the presence of God will intensify and that the Son of God will be exalted and that the Savior will be glorified. Grant Thy help and may this house be filled with a real sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We humbly pray with thanksgiving in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Now, over the last number of Lord's Days, we've been thinking about the great subject of fear, facing our giants and one of the great giants that many people are facing and battling and grappling with in these closing days of time is the giant of fear. And it's quite remarkable how many times we read about fear in the lives of God's people all throughout the Word of God. We mentioned this morning that the first time that fear is ever mentioned in the Bible 
is in Genesis chapter 3, shortly after Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord and ate of that forbidden fruit, they ran from the presence of the Lord. They tried to cover themselves and hide themselves in the midst of the garden among the trees. And yet the Lord came and confronted them and said, Adam, where art thou? And Adam confessed that he was afraid because he was naked and fear really entered in along with sin. If it wasn't for sin, there would be no such thing as anxiety or worry or fear and all of the things that go along with it. And ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, right throughout the history of this world, and right until Jesus Christ comes back again, the Bible tells us that individuals will struggle with fear. The Savior said that one of the signs of the last days will be men's hearts feeling them for fear. Fear can have a physical effect. While fear is an emotional thing and fear can be spiritual, fear can affect us physically. And many scientists and people in the medical profession are telling us now that fear and anxiety is one of society's biggest problems. And certainly, it can affect us physically. And even as we read the story of the coming of the Savior into this world, the subject of fear figures heavily. Whenever the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, Mary was afraid. And the angel said, fear not, Mary. Whenever the angel appeared to Joseph, Joseph likewise was afraid. And the angel said, Joseph, fear not. Whenever the angels appeared to the shepherds at Bethlehem, the Bible says, they were sore afraid. And the angel said again, fear not. And in all of those occasions, whether it's Joseph, Mary, or the shepherds, the things that they were about to experience and the news that they were about to hear was all good news. And the Lord was working in them and for them and through them. And they were about to be greatly blessed. But still this problem of fear. And I suppose tonight there are some gathered in, others that are watching online, some perhaps that might listen in the days ahead, and you're consumed with fear as you approach the end of an old year, as you anticipate the new year. Fear is gripping the hearts of many people. And in all of these gospel narratives concerning the nativity of our Lord, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, we see the reality of their fear, the reason for their fear, the remedy to their fear, and then the results whenever they overcame their fear. The remedy for Joseph's fear was the guidance of God. He needed direction. And the Lord guided him. He didn't know what to do. And he had purposed in his mind that he had put away Mary privately. And then the guidance of God came. And the Lord said through the angel, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. And so the answer to Joseph's fear was the guidance of God. The answer to Mary's fear was the grace of God. Fear not Mary, for thou art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. And the words there, highly favored, indicate that the grace of God was upon Mary in a special way. And God's grace is sufficient for all of us in all of our fears. 
And if the answers to Joseph's fear was the guidance of God, and the answer to Mary's fear was the grace of God, the answer to the shepherd's fear was the gospel of God. Fear not, for behold, we bring you glad tidings or good tidings of great joy which shall be for all people. That's where we finished our message this morning, just going through this portion verse by verse. And we did mention that the words that are translated there in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 10 as good tidings are the same words that are translated at other times in the Bible, gospel. And so the gospel is the answer to fear in our world and in our society. Fear not, for behold, we bring you the gospel. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the gospel is a gospel of great joy. We notice this morning in conclusion, according to verse number 10, that the gospel of great joy is for all people, not just the religious people of Jerusalem, but the shepherds of Judea, not just for the Jewish people, but for Gentiles as well. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. Now, as we look on a little bit further, you'll notice a little bit more about this great gospel in verse number 11. And the angel begins to expound something of the gospel. And you'll notice the first words there in verse number 11, why the gospel is for all people. It's a universal gospel in its application. But it's also a very personal gospel. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. For unto you. So this gospel was something that not only was for the shepherds collectively, but it was also for each shepherd personally and individually. The gospel is such a personal thing. And all throughout the Word of God and the letters of John and Peter and Paul and others, you find those great men of God speaking about how the gospel has affected them personally. I love the words of Galatians 2 and verse number 20, where the Apostle Paul speaks about the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, and he does, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, and they won't. But whenever a person really gets to grips with the gospel, they realize that the gospel is not just something for all people, and the gospel is not just something for all the world generally, but the gospel is something for me personally as an individual. And I wonder tonight, can I challenge your heart? Have you ever realized that in your own life individually? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. The Son of God came, the hymn writer said, seeking for me. And maybe this Christmas night, 2022, the last Lord's Day evening of an old year, as we celebrate the nativity, the coming of Christ into the world, God becoming a man, the Son of God, taking to himself a true soul and a real body and a real humanity, that he might go to the cross and shed his blood for us. 
you're realizing maybe for the first time in your life that he came for me, for unto you is born this day. Unto you, that speaks of the gospel personally. Unto you is born this day. There's the application of the gospel presently. The Savior has come this day. He's here now. He's been born in Bethlehem. And He's been born for you. And He's been born for you this very day. And so there's an urgency about the gospel. Whenever the Bible speaks about salvation, dear friends, it always speaks about salvation in the present tense. It says nothing about tomorrow. In fact, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Paul said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The psalmist and the author of the book of Hebrews said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, then harden not your hearts. And surely this angel is impressing upon the shepherds that the gospel is something for them personally. And the gospel is something that they must respond to presently. Not put it off another day. Not wait until tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. For unto you is born this day, where? In the city of David. And we noted the words this morning in verse number 8. There were in the same country. Christ was born in Bethlehem. And just outside of that old town of Bethlehem, the city of David, the royal city, not far away in that Judean hillside, shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And in the same country, in the same city, in the city of David, the Savior was there. Unto you, that's personal. Is born this day, that's, that's presently. In the city of David, that's the proximity. Right there where they were, the Savior came to them. And all they had to do was take a few short steps, and they would find the Savior for themselves. It's lovely that the Son of God came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, came to this very planet of ours. And even in a meeting like this, He has promised that where two or three are met together in His name, there He is in the midst. And so tonight the Lord comes to you personally. The Lord comes to you presently. The Lord comes in close proximity. Here he came to the city of David. And an Old Testament prophecy there was fulfilled in the little book of Micah. And thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be least among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth. He whose goings have been from old, even from everlasting. We noted this morning that the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, my shepherd, he came to the shepherds. And the shepherds went to see the one who was the great shepherd. And he also came to Bethlehem. He who was the bread of life was born in Bethlehem which means the house of bread. And there's so many wonderful little pictures in the coming of Jesus Christ. The good shepherd came to the shepherds. 
The bread of life came to the house of bread. And dear friends, tonight bread is a necessity. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. That bread that was broken for us. And he's able not only to save us, but able to satisfy us. And yet sometimes we get so taken up with things that don't really matter that we forget the things that are fundamental and absolutely vital. I heard a story years ago about a man in one of the great cities and he went to a famous restaurant and the restaurant boasted that they didn't need a menu. Anything that you could think of and order, they would be able to cater for you or you would eat for free. This man found out about it and he went to the restaurant and he sat down and the waiter came over and he said, sir, what can I get you? He thought he would catch them out and order something unusual. He says, I want a poached ostrich egg on toast with a side helping of asparagus. And the waiter went off, came back a moment or two later and said, sir, I'm sorry, we cannot supply your order. And the customer smiled and said, I suppose you've got no ostrich eggs. He says, we've got ostrich eggs. Well, then you must have run out of asparagus. He says, we've got plenty of asparagus. The problem, sir, is we have no bread. Nobody ever comes and asks for something as simple and as fundamental as bread. And they had no bread. And we live in a world tonight where we have got so much. But in reality, we have got so little. And even at this time of the year, whenever people are eating and drinking and dining and making merry and enjoying themselves for a few hours or for a few days until the new year comes around, and then it's back to porridge. There are many people, and they do not have the bread of life. And yet the bread of life came to the very house of bread and was born even there for us. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We often said God did not send a psychologist. God did not send a social worker because not all people need a psychologist. Not all people need a social worker. He didn't send a medical doctor. He didn't send an ecologist. He didn't send an economist. He didn't send a politician. He didn't send some great world leader. He didn't send a military general. God in heaven sent a savior. Because the common denominator of humanity is we all, every single one of us, need a savior. And the savior who came was Christ. The word Christ simply means the anointed one. It's the New Testament counterpart of the Old Testament word Messiah. The Messiah came. And he came to be a savior. And who is this Messiah? He's Jesus Christ the Lord. The Lord of glory. The Prince of glory. The King of glory. In a cradle. In a manger. In a place called Bethlehem. Remarkable words in verse number 11. Look as well at the words of verse number 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. Now the word of God says in the earthly ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he said an evil and an adulterous generation requireth a sign. Now the Lord had given many signs up until that point in his ministry. 
And then he said to that evil and adulterous generation, there shall be no more signs given you but the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The prophet Isaiah said, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And by the time you get to Luke chapter 2 and verse number 12, that sign has been fulfilled. The Virgin Mary has brought forth a son. And now we have other signs in this particular verse of Scripture. You see, the Bible says that the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. And the Lord gives to these shepherds an unmistakable sign. In fact, there are two signs that he gives them. In verse number 12, Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. In fact, there are three signs there. The first sign is regarding the child. Ye shall find a babe. He's going to just be a little baby. And that's a remarkable thing, isn't it? The Son of God came into this world as a little baby, a little child, and the angel said, Thou shalt find the babe, a sign regarding his childhood. And then there's another sign regarding his clothing. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped in little bandages. And then there's another sign regarding his crib or his cradle, lying in a manger. You'll find him in Bethlehem. You'll find him as a little child. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. And you will find him lying in a manger. And the angel has already told us that that was Christ the Lord. Dear friends, we ought always to remember that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. In Isaiah chapter 6, the great prophet of God says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You see, he was Lord in eternity past. And even now that he's come into the world and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and he's lying in a manger, He's still the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then whenever he began his earthly ministry and he went out and for 40 days and for 40 nights fasted alone and prayed in the desert, even there in the wilderness he was Christ the Lord because none of the beasts could touch him. He was sovereign over all. And even whenever he hung upon that cruel cross, and was put to an open shame, and was despised and rejected of men, and his visage was marred more than that of any man. He was still the Lord, because the dying thief turned round and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And even ever they took that body and they laid it to rest in the tomb, he was still the Lord, because the angel said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And I want to tell you that the Lord is coming back again. The Scripture says, The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. He's always been the Lord. He is the Lord presently. And He'll be the Lord for all of future and all of eternity. And yet here we see this great sign. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I see there His humanity. I see there His humility. I see there His great humiliation. And all of these wonderful and remarkable prophecies are coming together. Born in Bethlehem. Born in Judea. Born to the tribe of Judah. Born of a virgin. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, angels announcing his birth. And all of these prophecies came together, which made the sign for the shepherds certain and unmistakable, so that they could know and be absolutely sure we have found the Savior. Like Fanny Crosby said in her great hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory! divine. I wonder tonight if you got to that place of assurance. Have you settled in your mind tonight who Jesus Christ, the Son of God, really is? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, the Son of God finds himself at Caesarea Philippi, a hub of pagan idolatry, and he stands up in front of his disciples with a, a statue to the goddess of Diana and other heathen deities behind him, and he says to his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And it's like the Lord setting himself against all of the religions of the world and challenging his disciples. Who do men say that I am? And they gave their answers. And then he said to them, But whom say ye that I am? You need to settle this in your mind. You need to know who Jesus Christ is. The hymn writer said, What think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme? You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. What think ye of Christ? And once you've answered that question, then you need to answer another question. What shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? It's always noteworthy whenever we consider the first coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that all of those Old Testament prophecies given 400 or more years before he was born in Bethlehem, they were all fulfilled, my friends, literally. Every single one of them. Whenever the Bible said he would be born in Bethlehem, it was filled literally. Whenever the Bible said he'd be born of a virgin, that was fulfilled literally. Whenever the Word of God said he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver, it was fulfilled literally. And it's my conviction tonight that if those promises and prophecies regarding His first coming were literally fulfilled, then the prophecies and promises regarding His coming again, they will be literally fulfilled also. Notice verse number 13 and verse number 14. And suddenly, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. It's a nice study to consider the things in the Bible that happened suddenly. Saul of Tarsus was converted suddenly. The Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost suddenly. And here we have the angelic host appearing in the atmospheric heavens. And it happened suddenly. The appearance of the angelic choir and it's impossible for us tonight to say how many were in that choir that evening. 
Hebrews chapter 12 and 22 speaks about an innumerable company of angels. And yet their song and their praise and their worship catches something of the full significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. These angels would not be benefactors of salvation. These angels would not be made kings and priests unto God. And yet they praised the Lord and they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, praising God together. Oh, tonight that Christian people were as enthusiastic and as eager and as anxious and as excited to worship the Lord Himself as these angels are. And yet we are the ones that Christ shed His blood for and purchased with His own redeeming blood. How much tonight ought we to praise and worship Him? Glory to God in the highest. They recognize who the Lord is. Glory to God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Whenever the Lord taught us to pray, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here we see something of how the will of God is done in heaven. Done immediately, done suddenly. Done out of a full heart. And done for the glory of God. And that's how the Lord, I believe, tonight would have us live. To live to his glory. Glory to God in the highest. There's God's position in the universe. The Bible says that the Lord sits upon the circle of the earth and his name is holy. The word of God says he inhabits eternity. The Bible says that he sits upon a throne in glory and all things are under his feet and our God is the God that's in the highest. I wonder tonight as we look at our own lives and our own hearts, does the Lord have the highest place in our lives? Is the Lord the central one in our hearts tonight? Is the Lord central in our homes? Is it our desire to live to His glory? Do we give the Lord His highest and rightful place in our lives? Or do we treat our Savior and our God like a little boy? And we have all of these other things that are more important enthroned in our hearts. And we put the Lord to the back of the queue. And we call upon Him whenever we need something. But whenever everything is going well and we're enjoying ourselves, the Lord's put in some little back room someplace. Hymn writer said, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn crown brow. Lead me to Calvary. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. It's true to say tonight that peace is a commodity that the world knows very little about. The Bible says there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. The wicked are like the troubled sea. They have no rest day and night. But a child of God, a Christian, someone born again of the Spirit of God, can enjoy peace in their hearts. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wonder tonight, do you have that peace? Let the Lord have His way. In your life every day, there'll be no rest and there'll be no peace. Until the Lord has his way, place your life in his hands. Rest secure in his plan. Let the Lord, let the Lord have his way. He has made peace through the blood of his cross. 
But you know that little phrase there, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, it'll have its greater fulfillment and its greatest fulfillment, its ultimate fulfillment. Whenever our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes back again, this world of ours has not seen the last of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2 and verse number 2, I want you to listen to these words. And it's certain tonight that these words have not yet been fulfilled. But they will find their final and great fulfillment whenever the Son of God comes back again. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. Now listen to what it says. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And you know tonight that that has not yet happened. We are living in a day when there's wars and rumors of wars. But the Old Testament prophets pointed us to a day whenever there truly will be peace on earth as Jesus Christ reigns and takes his rightful place. Goodwill towards men. Beautiful words. You know, I know tonight that there are many people and they know the gospel and there's something of a fear of God in your heart and you have this image of an angry God and yes, God is angry with the wicked every day, but somehow you feel that he's just standing over you with a big club or a big stick. And yet the Word of God says here that in the gospel, God extends good's will, goodwill towards man. I have a God tonight who is good. I have a God tonight who says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God says, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye, for why will ye die? Isaiah 1.18, God says, Come now, let us reason together. Let's talk about this. Let's be open and honest and frank, the one with the other. You tell me about your sin and your needs and your failure and your shortcomings, and I'll show you that there's love and there's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness. God delights in reasoning with the sinner. I have a God tonight who's reasonable. I have a God tonight who's gracious and kind and merciful. I have a God tonight who extends goodwill towards man. What a song of praise and worship this angelic choir raised to heaven in the presence of these shepherds. Robert Murray McShane said, When the praise of heaven I hear, loud as thunders to the ear, Loud as many waters noise, but sweet as a harp's melodious voice. Then, Lord, shall I fully know, not to learn how much I owe. Just in closing, I want you to notice verses 15 through to verse number 17. Verse 15 speaks of responsibility. 
It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. And that corresponds, doesn't it, with the words that we have in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And in verse 15 they say, Let us, because he came unto us, let us now go, because he is born this day. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, because he was born in the city of David. And let us see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord, the Lord himself hath made known unto us. That angel was but a messenger of the Lord, bringing the word of God to these shepherds. And now they know it in their hearts to be true. And they believe it. But dear friends, they're pressing upon each other. Let's be active. Let's not be neutral. Let's not be indifferent. Let's not procrastinate. Let us not put it off another moment. Let us go even now. Let us go together. Let's behold them for ourselves. Let's see it for ourselves. Let's experience the reality of the Word of God to our hearts. Some of you tonight are maybe about 18 inches from reality. You've got the truth of God in your head, but you haven't got the truth of God in your heart. You know the gospel. You know it to be true. But it's maybe been a long, long time since you've really beheld the Lamb of God. Maybe you've never beheld Him at all. There's a real danger in being a hearer of the Word, but not a doer. The Bible says you can deceive yourself in that way. It says, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And these shepherds who are hearing the gospel probably for the very first time are saying in their hearts, let us now go. Verse 16 simply says, and they came with haste. They came speedily. They came urgently. They went just there and then, just the way they were. Other things can wait. The sheep will still be here tomorrow. We can see there are other duties another time, but this is the most pressing and most important thing. We need to come with haste. Can I tell you this evening that the most important thing in your life right now is to get right with God, to come to Christ, taste and see that the Lord is good, and respond to the call of God. And yet that first Christmas night, there was only a few that came to see Him. Multitudes knew that he was coming. Multitudes of religious people knew the prophecies. Multitudes could testify to the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Micah. But it was just a few humble shepherds, maybe two or three, maybe four or five, we're not sure how many. And just a few witnessed that little infant as he lay there in that manger. The Bible says that narrows the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. But praise God, where two or three are met together in the Lord's name, there he is in the midst. Mary and Joseph were just two, but the Lord was there in the midst. Forthwith a few shepherds came along, and the Lord's still in the midst. We might be few in number tonight, but the Lord is here in the midst. Whenever Charles Haddon Spurgeon was converted, way back, as a young teenager at the start of January of a new year, 
He went along to a little chapel and it was snowing, it was blowing a blizzard. He wasn't able to get to his normal place of worship. The preacher who was to come to that church couldn't make it and it was just a handful gathered together. And yet the word of God was opened at Isaiah 45, 22, where God says, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and beside me there's none else. And that night Spurgeon trusted Christ, entered into newness of life, and just a small little meeting on a dark winter's night. Oh, that God would do it in your heart this evening. Make this your night. Behold the Lamb of God and come with haste and get right with God. Verse number 17 speaks of their testimony. When they had seen it, they saw the babe lying in the manger just as the word of God had said, the sign fulfilled. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. They were so excited. Nobody had to go and tell them to evangelize. Nobody had to tell them to confess Christ. Nobody had to tell them to witness. They were like the early church who said, we cannot but speak of the things that we have seen and the things which we have heard and the things which the Lord hath made known unto us. Verse 18 in conclusion, And they that heard it wondered, wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They wondered. They marveled. Maybe some of them wondered in the sense of they questioned the reality of their report. But at any rate, nobody, nobody could, nobody could deny that these shepherds had been changed by the gospel. Their fears had been alleviated. Their sins had been forgiven. They had found a pearl of great price. And they were so excited that they just wanted the world to know. And friends, that's why we're here tonight. Just to tell you that there's a Savior. He came into this world for you. He's not far from every one of us. And you can find Him tonight. And leave in your way rejoicing. Fear not, for behold, I bring you the gospel, good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Make this your night. You come to Christ right now. Don't even wait till the end of the meeting, but just where you are, tell the Lord you want Him to save you. Call upon Him for mercy. Ask Him to be your Savior. Tell Him you're trusting Him. You're giving Him your heart and your life. If we can help you at all, that's why we're here. But make this your night. Taste and see that the Lord is so good.